Thankful for you, thankful for this family, joyful to spend time with you in God's Word this morning. If you're new or visiting, we want to welcome you here. We're thankful to to have you with us. We're taking a break from our current sermon series in the letters of John to have a few-week focus during this Advent season on a series that I'm calling Wartime Christmas. We're looking to God's Word to lead us today. Um... We take part two, step two in that journey together. We're in this second week of Advent in the year of our Lord, 2021. Advent is the church's annual celebration of the arrival of the Messiah, the promised one. Messiah is the promised Redeemer that all mankind has been desperate for. He is the one whom God promised would come and deliver his people from death and sin. Christmas is the celebration of the advent of the Son of God who took on flesh and was born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. We celebrate this historic moment because his arrival changed everything. And my prayer today is that it means real transformation, change, and sanctification for you. This year we're talking, taking a, a unique look at Christ's advent and the fact that his arrival was not this cute and cuddly thing that we often make it out to be. No, instead his arrival was into the middle of a spiritual war. We saw last week Jesus' arrival meant a new phase of war for those who trust their lives to him as we experience real persecution and even separation from people we might, be, might have been once very close to, people that remain against Jesus as Lord. Our peace is in Christ even when we're not experiencing very much circumstantial peace in our lives. I pray that's been resonating well with you this week. Today we turn to the second theme of Advent, as the Millers read earlier, which is hope. I've titled today's sermon, Wartime Hope. Church, we must see that we are at war To ignore that, to turn a blind eye to that, is to not be good stewards of what God has called us to do and to be. It's all too easy, though, in our modern day to become lethargic, to lack alertness and preparedness to be good stewards in these days that God has given us. It's all too easy to become undone then when real hardship comes our way. Today, we must be reminded that our hope is not in the temporary, it is in Christ our victor, our Savior, our Lord. I want to take a little time this morning to love our congregation well by highlighting the true source of lasting, living hope. And then by speaking to our need to be prepared so that we're good stewards of this wartime reality that we find ourselves in with a critical balance of the fact that as we prepare, as we are good stewards, as we are diligent, our hope is not in our diligence, it's not in our preparation, it's in Christ. And so both sides of that must be seen and then handled well. I pray the Lord's word would lead us through it. This passage that the Millers read is a wonderful gift. It's been a sweet, sweet source of God's truth for me. I pray it is for you. Look with me at it again. 1 Peter chapter 1. Find that towards the back of your Bibles. Chapter 1, and I want to read the entire passage, verse 3 through 13. We'll focus on much of it this morning. Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See with me, church, in this last verse, verse 13, there is a call to alertness and preparation for the days we're in, and yet our hope is not in that. If you are thorough to manage your money well and have a storage of food and well-equip your children and and family with faith and the good news and the truths of God, it it does not mean that those things are, are secure right? Those storehouses can be raided. Our money can be taken. Praise God that there is an inheritance that is so much better, that is guarded by the power of God. Amen? For those who trust in Christ, for those who hope in Christ. And so it's my objective this morning to show us both sides of this. I pray God would do that work in us. First thing I want us to see is that our true and lasting hope is found in the promised Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Blessed be be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So what is hope? The definition of hope I've always liked to point out, really has two sides to it. It's a feeling of expectation or a desire for a certain thing to happen. I hope for this or that to happen. There's a hope for. And then also there's a hope in. It's a person or a thing that may help or save someone. To hope in something or someone. A hope for and a hope in. And so I ask you, what have you found yourself hoping for lately? That's an important question this time of year. It's easy, too easy this time of year to put our hearts on the temporary things that we're guilty of hoping for. The problem is, those things that we hope for are not lasting. Right? They only satisfy for a season. How do I know that? I know that because you have a new Christmas wish list this year of 2021. Because your Christmas wish list, the things you got in 2011, are not still satisfying you. If they were, you wouldn't have a new list. Right? But no, no, I'm, I'm over those things. Those things are broken, they're gone, they're old, they're outdated. Old fat, that's, that's gone. There's new things. This all points us to our need to hope in something that's lasting, something that is all satisfying. What could we ultimately hope for that would be truly fulfilling and never let us down? The Bible tells us the ultimate hope of every heart is the glory of God. Let me show you this just in a couple places of the numerous places Scripture speaks to it. Romans 5.2 We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 
If someone asks you, Christian, what is your hope for? What, what is that hope for? It, there's no better answer than to be all consumed in the glory of God. Everything else is a distant second. Colossians 1.27 Christ in you, the hope of glory. Church, the ultimate thing you hope for can't be something temporary. If it is, then that hope is fleeting. It is passing by. And so even when life is on its sharpest edge, that dear loved one is at that brink. And, and in all of our flesh and all the urgency of the moment, we can be quick to say, uh, I, my hope is the doctors get this surgery right. Or, or my, my hope is that this loved one finally overcomes this thing. And you're hanging your hat on it, and, and, you're, and you're just leaning in. Just, just let that be what happens. I'm telling you, Christian, it's going to let you down. In the midst of those realities, in the midst of those requests we can make to God for those things, our hope has to be in that which is eternal, or it fails us. Our hope is in the Lord. Right? If it's not, it's in something fleeting. It's in something passing by. Right? No, we need a living hope. A a permanent hope. One that won't let us down. One that that won't run out. Paul says this in Romans 5.5, Hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. It doesn't say hope doesn't disappoint us if you're a Christian because your family remains healthy and doesn't get sick. It doesn't say hope doesn't disappoint us if you're a Christian because, you're, because you finally get the gift you always wanted. It doesn't say it doesn't disappoint you because your career is going great and there's this big bonus or big her- income on the horizon. Or this relationship you've been longing for is finally coming your way. No, it says hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He's given us. Church, the only way you will not be disappointed is when your hope is for eternal glory with God and it's grounded in Christ Himself. In God Himself. The presence of the Holy Spirit Himself. The psalmist said it so well. Psalm 146.5 Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. So what or who do you hope in? This is what each of us must do business with this morning. I mean, true, honest evaluation, introspection, let me help you by just asking, when you wake up in the morning, hope is what makes you do something. It's what made, motivates you to live. If there is no hope, then why live? Then why do anything? Why endure the hardships of this exile time? I know many of the hardships that many of you are facing lately are really hard. (coughs) Beloved, see with me. Rejoice with me. The hope that you have in Jesus is bigger than those really hard things. And that's why you keep going. Don't lose sight of that. 
God wants us to live in hope in this exile, in this wartime reality. But if we're going to live in hope, then we must not lose hope. Have you been losing hope lately as your hardships are coming around you? Things are not going your way. It means one of two things. It means that your hope was too much fixed on things that are fleeting, and that's why you feel like it's, it's, it's being pulled out of your grip. Or you're losing sight of the one in whom your hope rests. And your eyes are too fixed on the storm. Hear Peter's words. Listen to these truths this morning. Let them be like firm ground under your feet after being lost at sea for months. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See with me that this is genuine. It is vital hope as in contrast to something that's empty or in vain. Why is it not empty or fleeting or vain? Because it's based on the perfect sovereign work of God's election, regeneration, and conversion in your life. Peter has laid the groundwork for us. This hope is not baseless superstition. It's not contrived in the hearts of finite men, something that's floating out there and we're, and we're just grasping for it. No, it's established. It's It's confirmed on the completed work of Christ and the security of God. Peter says, the hope we have in Christ is living. It's living because it's fixed in Christ and because Christ is living. Amen? Did you catch that essential detail? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a resurrected Savior. He's not long dead and gone, a long dead and gone Messiah like every other man-made religion out there. That they're prophets, their messiahs died and stayed dead. Ours, the one true God, the Son, who came in flesh, who died in the place of guilty sinners and rose from the grave to conquer death as the firstborn of the redeemed. He lives. And so our hope is living. If you're here today and you've not trusted your life to Jesus, you've not known the power of the gospel to give you new life, visitors, young ones, even you who are older, you can be caught up in this too. Is your faith in Jesus, does it mean you've died yourself, you've trusted Jesus, you belong to Him, you see you're guilty in sin, only He saves Only He is worthy. And so it's your joy to belong to Him. It's your joy to trust Him. It's your joy to walk by faith. If that's not you, then repent and believe and be saved by God's good grace. That today would be the day that you would be saved. And then share that with us so we can walk that out with you. And confirm that what you're understanding there is biblically sound and, and, and then celebrate with you in baptism and, and growing you as a young disciple of Christ. If Jesus was not raised, if he's not a resurrected Savior, it's all for naught. That Peter, Paul made this critical point, 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 19. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope only in 
this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Jesus did not rise from the grave, if he was not the firstborn of all whom God would redeem, then we have no hope. Church, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It's a great lyric of old, and why is it so meaningful to us? Because it's our battle cry in the midst of this war. My hope's not in this stuff. My hope's not in these people. My hope is in the Lord. My hope is for glory. Therefore, it's living. It's active. It's thriving in the fertile soil of Jesus' victory. Oh, how we need living hope. Not fleeting hope, not dead hope, not religious hope, not relational hope, not financial hope. But living and lasting hope that is founded on Jesus Christ alone. See another layer of this in verse 4 and 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Our future, our hope, is secure in what? In the power of the Almighty God. Do you see that? It's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's kept in heaven for you. Church, all of your work to study and to get a good job and to secure a good pension and to save and and to pay off your vehicles and to equip your children, all of that is so fleeting. It, It If any part of you is putting your hope in that, you are utterly undone the day it's taken from you. Can't be in that stuff. And yet I'm about to talk about a need to manage that stuff well. Which is why we have to start here. Because because the worst part of this is that you would think that you'd start to get your stuff together and then, oh, look, this is it. Church, your hope is not in any of this. It's in Him. It's in God. It's for, His, it's for eternal glory. All of this is means to be stewarded well for His purposes. It's an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and fading, kept in heaven for you by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is good news. It is essential truth for our souls. Why? Because we're at war. Because our only lasting wartime hope is in Him, is in God. And praise be to God that He's done it. We don't have to perform, and we don't have to climb, we don't have to get there. He's done it. All glory to Him. Amen? Amen. Now the problem is, we all too often get our eyes off of Christ, and off of this good word, and off of His promises and power, and then onto the storm, and then onto the war, and onto our struggles, and onto the injustices, and onto the body count of our loved ones. Church, this cannot be. You can't turn to put hope in temporary saviors and solutions. That is a horrific compromise. As we turn to the narrative of Jesus' birth this morning, I want you to see that this is exactly what many of the Jews of that day did. They moved their hope from the promised Messiah who would come to save their souls 
and it's and and secure for them eternal glory and they exchanged it for the longing of a royal redeemer who would get on the temporary throne and give them temporal physical relief from the unrighteous rule of Rome they were so oppressed with such abusive taxation hierarchical rule that they begin to be so fixed on, on the Messiah showing up to take over the city, to take over the government, to change the political, economic, and social landscape. Their hope was in these things. For this kind of Redeemer. Church, how much lately have you been guilty of setting aside the grounding of your hope in Christ alone to put it on a social or political change that you're hoping for or in. Just got to get to the next administration. Just got to get to the next governor. Just got to get to the next set of rules. We have to see clearly Jesus didn't come to be the popular leader of the day. who had changed the political, social, and economic landscape. No, Jesus was an altogether different leader. Jesus was coming not to bring temporary solutions or patches or policy remixes. He was coming to bring life to that which was dead. To pay an unprecedented price to redeem a worldwide people. He was coming to redeem us for, from our spiritual bondage to give us lasting hope in the middle of a wartime reality until he would ordain to take us home to be with him forever in glory. Church, our hope has to be in Christ eternal and not some self-serving idea of a Savior that comes just to make our lives better in the here and now. Especially in light of the fact that our hope will be tested with real hardship and suffering in this wartime reality. In our text, Peter is clear to say that our faith will be tested. Look with me at verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Last week I shared with you how the arrival of Jesus that first Christmas was anything but comfortable and easy. Today I want to show you another reality of this. The very arrival of the Messiah in those early years, in those early days, was met with not victorious celebration maybe for a few but instead it meant tears over tragic bloodshed Matthew chapter 2 13 through 18 behold an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said rise take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him and he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. He sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. This was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard from Ramah weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. King Herod was threatened at the arrival of the promised Messiah, who was said to rule as king he too was overly concerned about a temporal throne and so he sent his soldiers to kill all the male children who were in Bethlehem in that region two years old and under with hopes to eliminate Jesus what would cause a man to do such a heinous horrific thing
Church, don't take this moment lightly. Don't, don't throw a blanket of Christmas comfort over it. Every baby, male baby in the region under the year of two years old was slayed. What would cause a man to do such a heinous and horrific thing? His sinful flesh. A man who didn't want to lose his throne. Because of his sin and fleshly identity as king. All of his hope was in his identity as king. So he would go so far to murder babies to keep it. We can't even imagine the horror of what life in that village or that region was at that time. People rushing to hide their babies. The endless weeping and wailing from household to household. All with the self-made justification that somehow that was okay. If there's a part of you that feels like, man, that's so sad and horrific, it seems unthinkable, I would say it's closer to us than we're, give, we're used to giving it credit in case you're thinking, I can't even imagine what that would be like to live in a time where these little babies are slaughtered like that church. It's not really that different than those who would selfishly, for fleshly reasons, for those who didn't want their lives the way they had them or like them to not change, to be permitted by the government, even assisted by the government, to murder their unborn babies in the womb. Do you know that statistics show us that this happens every day in our modern era through government-permitted abortion by the abhorrent rate of 125,000 babies a day? Church, in light of these wartime realities, consider 1 Peter 1.7 with me again. The tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says our faith, that is our trusting in God despite what we face, is more precious than gold. Gold is tested by fire. That is what is used to test it. To prove its purity. Its viability. Church, our faith in this life will surely be tested by fire. He says in verse 6, If necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Grieved is not something small. That's not your fast food order not being right. That's not your boss giving you a lame thing to do at work. No, I'm talking about real grieving at real trials. See, we're, uh, we're guilty in a modern era of, of looking at our grieving and feeling like it's really unique when it's not. Maybe compared to your very next door neighbor, maybe compared to a handful of people, but it's real. It's clear in Scripture. Our faith in this life will surely be tested by fire. For those in the region of Bethlehem, their faith and their hope that was grounded in the arrival of the Messiah 
was surely tested by great fire over the death of so many precious little ones. Again, this is war. The arrival of Jesus was anything but warm and comforting circumstances. It was a bloody war, and it continues today. Paul is clear in Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe, there's the gift of saving faith in Him, but also suffer for His namesake. It's a gift to be saved. It's also a gift to suffer for His namesake in this in this exile time that God's appointed for us. Christian, are you, are you upset lately because your modern conveniences and rhythm have been upset? Let that be a help to you that your hope has not been fixed in Christ. Let it, let it move back to Christ so that whatever is being upset in the temporary is seen as a Bible-informed reality for how we would steward that testimony of faith in the midst of these times. Here's the key. If you truly trust in God and hold nothing more valuable than Him, then when the fire of this life comes, and it will, you will not burn up. Instead, it will be fire that is refining to you as fire is to gold. And this is huge. Don't miss this. Our trials, our suffering will refine us at our very core if our hope, if our grip is on Christ alone. We cling to God. We hope in Him alone through it all. It will be for our good and His glory. But if you're holding to something else as as valuable or even more valuable to you, then when the fire comes, it will consume you. Why? Because it has something to burn. But when you hope in God alone, you're clinging to Him alone. You cannot be consumed by the fiery trials. Instead, you will be refined. First Peter 1.7, these trials have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. And as a result, in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Disciples, family, this is a good thing. Even though the fire hurts, we can see how God is at work in and through it. Beloved, our very goal is what Peter says, our perseverance in hope through the suffering produces. What is that? that it would result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. There it is. That's the goal, right? May it be so by His grace and for His glory that we would well up with praise, that He would be honored. How I want to help us do grip to, to Christ alone better but we also then have to consider the other side because there is a wartime reality by which we can become guilty of becoming too comfortable and too complacent we're kind of just on the bus and along for the ride and we don't remain steadfast on the wall or prepared for when the trials come Church, understand with me this morning, we must have hope that is grounded in the eternal, watch this, as we are faithful to be good stewards of the here and now. Notice something critical that Peter says in the last verse. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. What are you to do with all this? Prepare for action. Be sober-minded. Are a little gluttonous? Are you a little drunk with, with the, the wealth and, and the abundance we live in? You need to be a little more sober-minded for the fact that this is a wartime reality. 
Christians, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. So our hope is set on the future grace that is brought to us at the revelation of Jesus, but there is a sober-minded preparation for action that we must do in the here and now. And this is not unique to this passage. All throughout Scripture, there is a constant call to be good stewards of the here and now. We're called by God to steward all that He's entrusted to us, especially in light of the wartime reality we find ourselves in. We are to be prepared. We are to have good balance in our lives. And so, Christian, let me just ask you this morning. Okay? Are you prepared for action? Are you ready for battle? For danger, both spiritually and physically. Please see that this is not something that happens haphazardly. It's an intentional work, a discipline, a prudence. The timing of the Lord to, to, to have us focused on the spiritual disciplines this year, I think, is really divinely sweet. The feedback from you has been really great. If you're not coming Wednesday nights, you're missing out on an equipping that's really important each week. Because there's muscles that we need to be working. There's doing that honors God. What are those disciplines? The spiritual discipline of stewardship is our privileged opportunity to be faithful managers of God's provisions and purposes for God's glory and the good of His creation. Are you a disciplined steward? Can I say to the young person, you could be guilty this morning of saying, no, I'll get to that someday. Don't do that. Some of you are 48 and you're still saying that. I'm going to get to that someday. Some of you are older and you're going, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm settled. I think I've kind of lined it out. I'm going to ride it out. Don't do that. Paul said it clearly, Ephesians 5, 15 through 16. Let this turn on us. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Christian, are you slowing down to consider how you are stewarding the days God has given you? how you walk, how you live your life. Paul says rightly, the days are evil. How true that is. We are at war. Now the danger is that you think things are working right now. So, so why would I do any different? Why would I mess with this rhythm and plan any different? And there it is. We plan like things are just going to remain the same. We plan like we're ignorant of the fact that a war rages all around us. This is not our home. Whatever you've built, whatever you've saved, it's a, it's a tent, it's fleeting. But the question is, in the midst of the war, how prepared are you for it? How, how prepared are you when things do change and it is on its head? God's Word helps us to consider this. It speaks to essential importance of preparation in many places. The wisdom books in particular, the wisest man to ever live, Solomon speaks to this again and again. So let's hear some wisdom. Proverbs 21.31 The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Proverbs 22.3, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple goes on and suffers for it. Proverbs 21.20, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but the fools gulp theirs down. Christian, let me ask you, is your horse ready for battle? Spiritually speaking and physically speaking. Do you have a way to get out of impending danger and not suffer the brunt of its devastation? Do you have a storage of the basic things your family needs to survive 
Or are you just simply utterly dependent on our national imports, the shipping industry, the grocery stores, Costco, Amazon Prime, to provide you what you and your family need day in and day out, week by week, month by month? That stops. I have no idea how I feed my family. Do you realize that in any short-term disaster or crisis, these things are very real? Things you become very dependent on all of a sudden are not available? We, we experienced just a taste of this with COVID. Um, California fires, some other things we've experienced lately. I, I think we're still in a lot of a bubble here, California. Uh, but we saw food supplies be cut off. We, we, many important supplies become limited in the aftermath. Price hikes, supply chains becoming super hindered. We're still living that out. Many of these things are linked to real political, social, economic warfare, strategy, gamesmanship. Wicked agendas that have real consequences. My family and I are watching the local news, right? I'm not watching one side of the news or the other. We just had the local news on. And they did a bit about Australia. And this local bit from this Australian news feed was talking about how these couple people who were COVID positive had escaped their quarantine camps. And there was a manhunt for them. Let me make sure you heard that clearly. The Australian government was on a manhunt for people who had, were sick with a virus. These weren't like convicted terrorists. And that was the news. Oh, we got to find these people. They're looking in trunks, in lines. Some of you have read about history where things went that way, seen movies. My objective is not to get political. My objective is to be a loving shepherd that cares for his sheep. Sheep entrusted by God to his care and leadership. And so speaking on behalf of all of your elders, we want to help us be biblically prudent and prepared in light of the wartime realities that we're in and that are seemingly changing all the time. We want to encourage all of our church to consider what is prudent and whatever ways need to be addressed, given current events. But not just current events. I think, I think here's the bigger point. What are the good ways that all Christians should be prepared awake and equipped in this wartime reality we're in, whatever generation, whatever country, whatever government, right? That there is a general call to good stewardship that applies. That, that's, that's where we're trying to take us here, okay? The, the, the point is not to have fear or to overcling to the here and now. If that is your takeaway, then you, wouldn't, you weren't listening to all of the first half of the sermon. Our hope is not in these things. My hope is in Him. So when these things get really upset, I'm not undone. So if you walk away with an idea of press for fear or panic, you're not listening. In the midst of it all, Scripture calls us to be prepared, to be prudent, to be good stewards. Consider a few places we see this in God's holy word. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, the Apostle Paul says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. Men, have you done what is needed to be sure your household is in order? Are you spiritually investing in your wife and your children so that their faith is at work as the war rages? See, I'm not immediately running to just the tangible, although you might be tempted to do so. I mean, is there a spiritual investment so that when it's getting really hard, their faith is beginning to go to work? Some of you 
know we're praying for my dad right now. And we sat as a family and we prayed last night. He's going to go get some treatment in the coming weeks. And I was crazy blessed at Noah's prayer. Where's faith just going to work? So thankful for a grandpa. We ask for you to do your mighty work. You are able. But he, but he also said, but Lord, we trust you. And we yield him to you. Your plan's better than ours. So give us that faith to rest in that. Now I'm sitting there going, yes. Because whatever war is crashing down the doorsteps of my home, if that's what's going to work, then praise God. Right? So praying for my other ones to know that and grow in that. Praying for all of us to be there. Right? So there's a spiritual investment, a preparation, and a, 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 a work, a discipline to be in the Word, to be in prayer, to be spending quality time. And then on the practical, do you have the basic things you need to take care of your family, to feed your family, to provide for your family, men? If you lost access to supplies, access to your money in the bank, if the water was turned off and you didn't have electricity for your oven, could you even cook? Do you have a pan that wouldn't melt? Just little stuff. I'm not talking about expensive stuff. I'm not talking about an $80,000 stupid bunker in the ground that's you know, crazy and you wake up 40 years later. right? They make movies about that stuff. I'm, I'm just talking about simple, prudent, basic stuff. All this that we work so hard for, if it's only in digital currency, in one moment, if that's stopped or claimed or taken, then I have nothing. And I'm not saying go... You know, put all your money in a can. I'm not telling you that either. I'm just saying, is there a balance? Is there a prudence? Are we thinking about the, the varied ways that we are at war? I'm not saying you need to go join a survivalist group that wears a uniform. If you're hearing that from me today, you are not listening. Okay? Or to move to a compound in the woods so you can get off the grid. No, hear me clearly. The Lord has given the church a work to do and disciples to make. Amen? A gospel testimony to proclaim. Missionaries to prepare and send. It's, our purpose is not just self-serving survival. But prudence and good stewardship in the here and now are to be a reality for our wartime stewardship. I'm calling out the potential naivety or sinful negligence in some key areas where we are called men to protect and provide for our families and even the larger church family. See, don't just make it about your family. You've been adopted into a bigger family. This is your family. Right? And so this is where we as shepherds are, are there's some conviction among us. So are we helping our families be equipped, have good balance and stewardship? Why? So we're ready to be a blessing to each other. Instead of all the disciples' church congregation is part of the 500 deep line that says, I got nothing, I only have need. And can I just tell you, this is happening right now, by God's grace. That there are some of you in the midst of wartime realities. And so others in this family are helping to homeschool your kids. Are helping to pay for your bills. Are helping to get you where you need to go. Right? Praise God. That's the way this should be. That's the way this should be. The problem is we live in a time and in an era where being a man and standing strong is frowned upon. Each day that goes by, our progressive secular society is after our young boys in an attempt to cause them to think that being a man is somehow something to be ashamed of. Church, it's creeping in all around. Our young ones are being bombarded with propaganda talk like toxic masculinity and other buzzwords made to help them think that being a biblical man is somehow evil. 
Paul is clear. There is an urgent need for watchfulness, for standing firm in faith, and for acting like a man and being strong. Now there's another aspect to this that our modern society and much of the modern church is guilty of slipping into, and that's this common to society routine of we just go with the flow. And so we become blinded to the need for everything to be right now and to have more and more. So we've, we've almost trained ourselves by getting in line with the rest of society. We've trained ourselves into a, a slumber, a numbness, a blindness. We're, we're not really at the gate watching where we're naively trusting in everything else to work for us. Church, we have a responsibility to be awake, to be good stewards, to have balance. This is a really important wartime reality that we're in. Hear Paul's encouragement in this vein, 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. Let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Church, we need to be awake. We need to be walking in the light and the truth and on guard to fight back against those who wish to do us harm, to deceive, to confound us. I asked you in a recent sermon, and I ask you again, are you ready? I don't just mean ready for heaven, but ready to steward your life and family and ministry in the midst of a world that hates you and is working against you. And so, praise God, much of what you're doing with your time is to be equipped, is to be around the body, is, is to be around mature believers, to, to, to talk and to walk and, and to think biblically. That, continue in that, Christian. That's getting ready. But, but some are guilty of not getting their houses in order. They're just head down and doing the routine. Some are guilty of always postponing the God-given priorities. Oh, I'm going to get to it soon. Church, we're given today. We must get our house in order today. Hear Peter's words again. Prepare your minds for action. Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't forget Jesus' parable. In Matthew 25, 1-13, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. The wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. At midnight there was a cry, Here comes the bridegroom, come out and meet him. All the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Hey, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. And the wise said, Since there is not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins came along, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered, Truly I say to you, I don't know you. Watch, therefore, for you neither know the day or the hour. Beloved, you can't keep putting off the important, most important spiritual things for the temporary things, because the day and the hour could be here any time. It's not okay to say, hey, th th this hobby, I'll do this first and then I'll get to that. This season of, of sports is first and then we'll get to that. Th this, this focus on extra hours of work, just give me a little more money in the bank and then I'll get to that. I ask you, what needs to be worked on so that your home is in order? What are you addressing? How are you addressing the priorities given to you? Men, can I just love you? You've heard us say it so often. You've learned this the hard way, many of you. Don't do this alone. Oh, I'm first in line. We've all had those moments where we've got a lot of good ideas, and so here's all the stuff that I'm, and I've worked myself into a hole. Be blessed by plurality. Be blessed by wisdom. Counsel of many. Godly men to walk with you. And ladies, can I say that this is not, not for you? Don't think this is not for you too. Speaking to a God-honoring wife, Solomon says this in Proverbs 31, 13. She seeks wool and flax and works willingly with her hands. Proverbs 31, 15. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. There is 
for, for some, a, a guiltiness, a lethargia uh, of being asleep. When today has been given to be good stewards for God's good purposes. Proverbs 31, 27, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Church, hear me clearly. There is a prudence, a preparation, a having of good balance that honors the Lord. We're guilty of being somewhat naive to this in Bakersfield. We've lived apart from many of the things that many people are regular to. If you live in a part of the country where there is city-wrecking tornadoes or life-ending hurricanes, you don't get to just say, hey, we'll get to the preparation later. See with me, church, that this is not about just you and your family. It's about your God-given mission to love and lead others to Christ. When Christians are balanced and prepared, we are ready to be a blessing to others instead of only being a victim who are then only sitting there with our hands out. More on that next week when we look at wartime love. But back to 1 Peter 1. See with me how this passage shows us both sides of the coin as we wrap up. The faithful Christian is to be awake, prepared, and a good steward of what he or she has been entrusted, but never putting hope in those things. Right? So if you work really hard to get prepared, and then the mice eat it all, or someone robs you, you're not undone. Okay, Lord, I've done my part to be a good steward. We'll build it again. My hope is in you. Right? Or you're a good steward of your body and, and you think somehow that promises you this long life, but, but no, here you go. You're, you're the one afflicted with the rare disease and dying young. Your hope is not in that. It's not in that preparation. It's in the Lord. But that doesn't mean we don't do the preparation. We don't be good stewards, right? See the balance? Our hope is not in the temporary, but in the eternal. Scripture is clear to say, though, that there is a need to be prepared in this wartime reality. So to close, I give you Peter's words at the end of chapter 5, 1 Peter 5, 10-11. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. He reminds us again that our hope is grounded in the eternal glory, not in the here and now. This is a promise we must hold to, even when your loved one is slipping away in your arms to an early death. Or when that lifelong career is lost. Or an unjust verdict is given. Or a wartime fallout of your basic means or provisions is upon you. It is in these times especially that we cling to the promise that we find right here. The God of all grace himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. How can you be so sure? Because God is the almighty creator, the sustainer, the ruler of everything, right? Perfect, the standard by which all things are measured. Nothing is going to throw him off. Nothing's going to hold him back, stall him out, prevent him from seeing it through. So if you feel broken in this wartime, after a little while, know that God will restore you. If you feel unstable in this wartime, after a little while, God will confirm you. If you are weak in this wartime, after a little while, God will strengthen you. If you feel unsettled in this wartime, after a little while, God will establish you. Amen? That's the promises of God for us. It is living hope in the living God. And he, and he finishes, To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter is so overwhelmed by these truths. What does he do right here? He breaks out into worship. His faith, these truths, compel him to worship God. 
Church, may we be filled with praise for He has the dominion. He has the power. He has the authority. He is doing His work in this time. We belong to Him. We are to be stewards for His glory. He has the sovereignty. He alone, therefore, is worthy of our praise. And when you have a worshiping heart and you're welled up with worship and compelled to worship, what does that do, Christian? It helps you to to slow in your questioning of the difficulties of the temporary. Does it not? Yet another wonderful weapon in your wartime arsenal is to praise your King. And so let's do that now. Pray with me. Father, we... We cry out to you through the mediator, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you that Jesus is the solid rock on which we stand. For, for this thing around us is, is so messed up. We, in every way, we're so messed up. And you made us new and you're growing us and you're maturing us. And you're giving us an opportunity to speak these truths to our young ones and to our families and to our neighbors. And may that light be bright, Lord. Let it not be put under a basket. Let us not make it about us. Let us not make it about our kingdom. Any preparation, any good stewardship is for your glory. It's it's to be used to to serve others. It's it's to be used to, to, to spread the good news of the gospel in the midst of all of this. And so God, do your work. May our hope be grounded in you. May it be fixed on the rock. Hear us, Lord, as we worship, as as we celebrate, as we confess sin in prayer, as as we sing to the living God. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray.